Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll give them a shout, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Mark Schulman. He is the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com, a multimedia website. He's also written several books, mainly on past presidents, and we'll be talking about current world events. Larry Reed is the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. We'll be talking about the whole topic of moral courage. Looking forward to that discussion as well. It is August the 3rd, and on this day in 1492, from the Spanish port of Palos, Italian explorer Christopher Columbus set sail in command of three ships, the Santa Maria, the Penta, and the Nina, on a journey to find western sea route to China, India, and the fabled Golden Spice Islands of Asia. On October the 12th, the expedition slighted, sighted land, probably Watling Island in the Bahamas, and went ashore the same day, claiming it for Spain. Later that month, Columbus uh, sighted Cuba, which he thought was mainland China, and in December, the expedition landed on Hispaniola, which Columbus thought might be Japan. He established a small colony there with 39 of his men. The explorer returned to Spain with gold spices and Indian captives. In March 1493, he was received with the highest honors of the Spanish court. He was the first European to explore the Americas since the Vikings set up colonies in Greenland and Newfoundland in the 10th century. During his lifetime, Columbus led a total of four expeditions to the New World, discovering various Caribbean islands and the Gulf of Mexico and the South and Central American mainland, but never accomplished his original goal, a western ocean route to the great cities of Asia. He died in Spain in 1506 without realizing the great scope of what he did achieve. He had discovered for Europe the new world, which riches over the next century would help make Spain the wealthiest and most powerful nation on earth. Set sail on this day in 1492. I don't know if you saw 60 Minutes last night, but they did a piece on the letters that uh, Columbus wrote about his expeditions. And uh, they were cut. The original's gone. Copies were made. And the big scandal, of course, is they have been uh, reproduced, fakes, and uh, the originals stolen and sold online. Such an interesting story indeed. Well, let's talk about COVID for a moment. 72 new cases of COVID-19 and no additional deaths in Cuyahoga County on Sunday. Uh, the cumulative case total is 9,734 out of 59,398 tests. And its uh, total COVID-related deaths remains at 124. Now, you may recall that, uh, in fact, uh, the head of Bob, Robert Redfield, the head of the CDC, said, you know, see, we, there is a financial incentive for organizations to exaggerate the number of deaths. Uh, but so I, the point I'm making is I think it's difficult to trust these numbers. But irrespective, 672 people in Cuyahoga County were hospitalized at one point or the other. About 127 remain in the hospital as of yesterday morning. The county also has 22.7 of its total hospital beds available and 31.76% of its adult ICU beds available. So remember, this is all about flattening the curve, and it uh, uh, looks like the 
healthcare uh, healthcare uh, industry is not being overwhelmed by the number of cases. So, uh, and Florida has uh, plenty of beds as well. So, Florida has seen its reduction in the number of new cases uh, reported. Sweden is one of the very few Western nations that didn't respond to COVID-19 by imposing any lockdowns. Again, now they obviously were encouraged to, to take precautions, and uh, therefore some people wore masks and some people stayed inside if they have compromised immune system. But given the obvious hardship, misery, and death lockdowns bring, Sweden's leader decided to, it made more sense to just isolate the sick and the elderly they let the infection burn through the strong and healthy members of the population at its normal rate instead of trying to slow it down and thereby delay the herd immunity. It uh, turns out their COVID-19 numbers are increasingly good, even independent of the fact that they seem to be avoiding the recent spike in cases the lockdown nations are experiencing. Moreover, there are differences in the criteria for counting COVID-19 deaths, which cast a very different light on some of the comparisons being made. Uh, start by considering Sweden's number in isolation. Their uh, COVID fatalities were almost entirely restricted to the elderly. Now, he listened to these numbers. 88% were over uh, 70 age, years of age, and 75% were in nursing homes or elder care. Only 4.5% of the fatalities were under the age of 60. Consider that. It's an amazing statistic. I'm so grateful for Governor DeSantis and his decision-making and leadership, quite frankly. Uh, the, you notice they were really hammering uh, Governor DeSantis in the last few days. We're seeing the curve turn down in Collier County and all over Florida, and all of a sudden the news media is absent crickets when it comes to uh, Governor DeSantis. Well, uh, why are the social media platforms, by the way, the media and the medical establishment against hydroxychloroquine why are they against it? It just makes no sense to me, whatever, except for the fact that if a vaccine comes out, it makes the vaccine more important. And therapeutics like hydroxychloroquine, <laughs> I can say this word, I really can, but I don't know why I'm struggling now. Anyhow, uh, the, the, uh, it's proven to be, in, in small doses, a very good preventative type of uh, medicine for people, especially on the front line in healthcare. And uh, I would certainly take it, uh, but apparently uh, CVS or other outlets are, were not willing to fill the uh, prescription. Something's going on. I'm not exactly sure what it is, but a lot of doctors are trying to bring attention to it. Uh, right now we're seeing uh, the uh, on social media and, f for example, Facebook, uh, they're taking down the videos of uh, doctors who are speaking out for hydroxychloroquine. <laughs> <laughs> Let's continue healthy decision-making while living our lives here. Again, I think probably m the most important thing is to continue uh, being an uh, attitude of gratitude, smiling, uh, greeting other people with uh, in a healthy way. Uh, I think a lot of the stuff that we're doing right now is damaging to our health. So, uh, so grateful to be here on the Paradise Coast when we see what's happening in other parts of the country. The Minneapolis Police Department, which has seen 40 cops resign or be fired in the past two months, offered city residents some tips last week on how to deal with the city's recent surge in violent crimes. Some of the examples include on the list, for example, you're not going to say call 911, that's on the list, but carry only items you need and carry less cash. Be prepared to give your cell phone a purse or wallet up. Don't fight with the criminals. Remember, your safety is most important. 
You'd like to think that uh, law and order is a little bit more important uh, than what we're reading here. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's, uh, Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. Okay, coming up, we're going to visit with Mark Schulman. He's the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Gulf Shore Playhouse, devoted to creating professional New York-style theater at its very best and at affordable prices, presents a fabulous new season of productions beginning in November with a world premiere of a one-man show written by and starring the talented associate artistic director of Gulf Shore Playhouse, Jeffrey Bender. Pinup Girls opens in January, singing a cavalcade of hits inspired by real letters from our troops overseas. Inspired by what they find funny, romantic, heartbreaking, and sexy, the ladies put on a show that celebrate the guys and gals who fight to defend our country. Bang Bang opens in March, written by legendary actor of Monty Python fame, John Cleese. You'll surely be wiping away tears of laughter with this one. William Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream opens in March. Meddling parents, impetuous young lovers, and cunning fairies collide in Shakespeare's enchanting classic. Another Revolution by Jacqueline Bircher opens in May. You won't want to miss this timely new work about finding hope in one another through the uncertainty of the world around us. What a terrific season of productions. Tickets for this great new season are available now. Tickets start at only $38. Tickets can be purchased by calling the box office at 866-811-4111 or visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And summer camps are running right now with distancing and all that thing. But uh, you can find out more by visiting visiting the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us Mark Schulman. Mark is the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website. I encourage you to visit historycentral.com. He's also the author of several books, mainly on past presidents. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. 
Always a pleasure, Bob. So, Mark, this past Saturday, celebrating nine years broadcasting on the Internet, and you go back those nine years, plus I think a couple of years before that when, when I was on the radio. So I uh, just really want to point out the fact and thank our listeners for their patronage and also thank you for being so supportive all these years. I think we go back 15 years at this point. So Is it 15 years? <laughs> My goodness. Well, I, I just really appreciate your commentary here on the show. We were, we were young men once upon a time when we first thought of this. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I want to report out to our listeners that you're in Tel Aviv. And I uh, just want to start off by asking, how are things going in Tel Aviv with regard to COVID-19? Uh, COVID-19, we still have very high numbers. Uh, per population, it's one of the highest in the world after being the lowest in the world. Um, again, it seems mostly because we reopened our schools without any any protections whatsoever. And when when the health department said to close them again, the Ministry of Education refused. And that seems to be most of the cause of it, although they also, after that began, they opened up some of the um, halls for weddings and those sort of things. And those two things combined uh, took us from, from really, really low. We had like 10 cases a day to as many as 2,000 cases a day huh. with a population of 8 million. So um, the numbers may be a little bit down now. The hospitals are always starting to fill up. Um, it's because the government sort of lost it the first time around. In other words, did a great job, had a complete curfew, got it down to 10, and then just opened without paying any sort of attention. The, the, the people don't have a lot of faith in the government relating to this. And there are strikes, I mean, protests, almost nightly demanding that Prime Minister resign. I mean, this is also combined with the fact that he's under indictment and all sorts of things. So there's a lot, a lot of protests going on. Uh, there were about 15,000 people in front of his home Saturday night. Wow. Um, so a lot of unrest on, the, uh, on that level. Um, and, of course, like everybody all over the world, the economy is in trouble. You know? yeah. so there's no one's economy is doing well anywhere in the world, maybe China at this point, I'm not sure. But... Um, so that puts a lot of pressure. The unemployment rate is uh, somewhere hovering around 18 to 20 percent. So, Mark, it brings up this whole issue. I, I was reading a column about uh, some commentary on Sweden and their experience. They did not shut down their economy. They, of course, they recommend people that had compromised immune systems and special situations to take special care, but they opened their schools. And I was just looking at the death rates, and I, I guess the point I'm going to, where I'm going with this, is that apparently this virus, we can slow the spread, but the spread is going to occur one way or another. This This appears to be the case, and, of course, I'm no... Uh, doctor, but uh, right now in Sweden, it looks like about 4.5% of the cases are actually occurring with deaths. That should be uh, 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 for people under the age of 65. And there are literally no deaths uh, for people up to age 25. Now, this is what, again, not taking, not shutting down the economy. That That's their experience. But, uh, but I understand something, but there's two things you need to keep in mind. The Swedish economy has hurt as much as the Danish and uh, Finnish and uh, Norwegian economy that did shut down. Yeah. So they expect their GMP to drop just as much as everybody else's. So right. not shutting down is not necessarily going to help you, and they had a much, much higher death rate. And the numbers of Sweden are somewhere near 5,000, uh, and Israel we have 500. So a similar population. Yeah. So uh, I guess the so point I'm making... something else about Sweden... This is very important for people to understand. I believe that 65% of Swedes live in single-person households. 
Single. So think I, about that. I didn't quite understand that. Could you repeat? So was, most Swedes, over 50% of them, live alone in their apartment or house. Huh. It's a very unique situation in terms of socioe- you know, a society of that kind. Yes. Uh, so there aren't any multi-generational houses. There are no, even, you know, a lot, there aren't a lot of couples. I mean, a lot of people live single. So that in and itself makes it very easy to social distance. That's such so interesting. Well, the point I was making is not about uh, the economy or anything. It's simply that whether, in fact, this virus is going to spread irrespective of what what we do and that uh, hurt. Well, I guess my point of that is we're trying to bridge ourselves until we get a vaccine yeah. and or um, treatments. I mean, I just got a press release uh, from someone who wants me to write up that one of these Israeli firms claims that I'm not going to write it in. I'm not going to write it in Newsweek where I write sometimes. So I'm just I'm not a medical expert, but. I, but there's an example, claims to have been trying a drug that's been uh, working here in uh, Israel in one of the hospitals and is getting fast-tracked FDA that manages with a couple of treatments to take people in severe respiratory distress because of COVID-19 and gets them off the respirators and on the road to recovery now. Is it true? I w- I'm not going to rush out and say it exists or what the story is because I am not an expert on this. Right. My point being with the whole world working on, on both cures and vaccines. I'm someone who has enough faith in science to believe that somewhere in the next six months, uh, both will be found. Yeah. And so, our goal is to bridge ourselves and for you and me not to get sick uh, before that happens. Yeah. So uh, the, the, uh, I've seen a couple of videos of uh, very credible doctors, I think, who are, are saying, why is the severe reaction to hydroxychloroquine which seems to be not in in the early stages. No, uh, please stop! Please stop! Please stop! There have been now five sets of peer-reviewed uh, studies where, with the way a scientific study is supposed to be done, where you give the right some people yes and some people no, and all five set of serious studies show there is no effectiveness. So don't turn this. Please, but this political issue around this item is. It's ridiculous. Well, it's not. Poli- it's not political. Uh, what I'm suggesting it's is political. It's really become political because uh, you know President Trump is pushing it, and so a lot of people have been pushing it. Why not? But they've been including look, Dr. Fauci and Dr. Bricks all have repeated the fact that all peer-reviewed studies have shown it doesn't work. So let's move on. There are things that are coming. Remedizin does seem to work. There'll be. You know, but but Mark, Mark, why, why this? Why this very uh, uh, passionate reaction? I mean, they're, they're taking down videos. The only reason it doesn't it's because it's, it's giving people false hope when it doesn't work. The same reason I won't write an article about. I just like I said, I was contacted by a PR firm. I can interview the chief scientist of the company that that, that developed it, and she wants me to you know write up about it. But I'm not willing to write up about it because I don't have the medical background. Yeah. To even pass on this. I sent a copy of this to, to a friend of the doctor just to get their reaction, but I'm not going to get involved in this because, again, I do not have the medical background to, 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 to push something that uh, may or may not work. And here, the, the hydroxide is something that, that, like I said, five set of studies plus the World Health Organization plus the FDA, everybody has come to the conclusion it doesn't work. So let's leave it move on. There's so many promising things going on out there. Yes. Let's hope that one of them really works. Well, yeah. my, my mental map, I don't want to leave it because when I see the reaction uh, that is so strong and so vehemently against it, it makes me wonder what's the motivation. Why not have a dialogue about it? Why not have conversations? Why not have dialogues about science. 
Well, why not? Uh, people dialogue about science. No, I'm medical sorry. doctors are having p- positive experiences with it. What, now you can. Oh, oh listen. Well, the, the, the way medical decisions are made is not based on a medical doctor having something positive, because the reality is we don't know when there are various factors. The way to do a medical test is to do it the way tests are done, which is to give, you know, a uh, hundred patients that treatment and a hundred patients not that treatment, and for doctors not to know who got and who didn't. Right. And then based on that, you see the results, and based on that, you decide what the effect of a drug is. Right. There have been multiple, multiple studies like that done of this, and in all cases, it's proven not to work, and it has potentially very dangerous side effects. So let's, I mean, there will be a cure, and there may be, you know, and, and there will be a vaccine, and maybe it'll be next the vaccine will take another few months in the best circumstances. The cure, maybe it'll be next month, maybe yeah. in two months. But let's, I mean, let's hope for whoever is working on it. I mean, like I said, there, there are 140 different vaccines being developed throughout the world right now. Yeah. Um, and I don't know how many different medicines. I'm sure hundreds of them as well. So we all need to get back to our lives, our normal lives. Right. And the only way we're going to be able to do that is twofold. Uh, either a vaccine or a drug that makes it so that once we get it, we just go and take this, you know, go take a pill or get a shot, and that's the end of the story. Yeah, well, um, uh, either I, way, we can go back to our lives. Yeah, so I mean, I just take a look at the medical, over the pharmaceutical industry, everything that's going on. I just have a lot of suspicions. And uh, while I, I hear you loud and clear, and I'm not a doctor myself, but all I'm saying is my my antenna is up. I'm asking, I'm thinking something's fishy here. This just doesn't look right to not allow, even if their opinions are wrong, to not allow the the discussion to because go on. Because it was fakely, because it was because it was false and was spread politically, and that's why it shouldn't be allowed. People should not have false hope and make false decisions. So who gets to label something political and say, therefore, we're not going to be able to discuss it? It's not political. No, we're not going to discuss why we should not be discussing. The only people who should be discussing a drug are the FDA um, and the other government agencies that deal with drugs. Yeah. We shouldn't be discussing. I mean, we're discussing it in this sense, but we shouldn't be saying whether a drug is is a, a good drug or a bad drug. That's what we spent you know, we've had the FDA in some form or another since Theodore Roosevelt. Yeah. And uh, they are the ones whose job it is to determine whether something is safe and whether something helps to take what you're, you know, if you're sick, et cetera. So, uh, Mark, I'm not, sh- I'm not sure we're going to move further away from our opinions right now. I don't yeah, think I'm convincing absolutely. you, and you know, <laughs> I think you're convincing me. So I think well, I'd like to talk to you about what's uh, happening around the globe. Can you stick around? Absolutely, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Lyndon and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining to choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. 
Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, uh, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with uh, Larry Reed, the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Right now, we continue the conversation with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website, HistoryCentral.com. Again, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. So, Mark, uh, let's uh, pick up on world news by talk about, talking about what's happening in Hong Kong right now. Absolutely. So the government of Hong Kong lead the elections that were supposed to take place. They claim it's because of COVID-19. Uh, they have a few cases. I mean, it's it's not zero, which it was once, but it's just a cover because they're afraid that the election, the free elections take place, anti anti Chinese government people would gain control of the city council, and that would look very bad. Uh, look, China's decided to make its move, and it's going to show it's exerting almost full sovereignty over Hong Kong, and doesn't see much one can do about it. Uh, the big question is going to become, you know, are we going to draw uh, a red line when it comes to Taiwan and ensure that Taiwan remains independent and free. Mm-hmm. And that really is probably uh, the major question that whoever is going to be president uh, after January is going to have to deal with more than anything else. Right. It, um, se- it seems to me like everything's on hold for international relations until uh, the rest of the world understands who's going to be re- who's going to be the president of the United States. Uh, well, that's partly, of course, it's COVID nineteen also. Yeah. Yeah. A combination of both, you know. There's no no flights going all over the world. The whole world has changed in in radical ways that we could never possibly imagine. So the two things are simultaneous. My point. Uh, my point being that I think uh, the, the communist, you know, the Chinese, would love to see a President Biden, as would uh, many other countries. Just ran. I would disagree. Exactly. That's that's a different story. Let's not, let's not get there because we're not going to agree one bit <laughs> on, that, uh, okay. on, on this subject matter. They want a they want a president who makes America weak again, and that's been the last four years. But okay, let's let's not go there. All right, all right, <laughs> Mark. So, uh, so uh, let's move to Iran. What's happening in Iran right, right now? Iran, so we, 
so Iran, we have two sets of things going on. First of all, they have had a terrible case of COVID-19. Um, they've called off religious celebrations, and they're trying to have some of them. Uh, they're not able to maintain any control of COVID-19, and that combined with the economic sanctions, all those things is creating additional unrest. Um, again, we, we come down to this one problem that we don't have an answer to is, you know, first of all, will the Iranian people be willing to revolt and risk their lives? Mm-hmm. And B, will the, will the Iranian God remain loyal to the Ayatollahs? And C, you know, can you actually fight a government that claims to have the word of God in their hands? Right. So those, those are three difficult points. Um, we don't know. Um, we're hopeful, let's put it that way, but to say that we know what's going to happen in Iran, let, let, let me revise it in a, in a really good way. We did not predict in any which way the fall of the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. No CIA asset, nobody at all came to the conclusion that the Soviet Union was going to fall the way it did. And yet look how quickly it all came you know, tumbling down. Um, so... And that was that was the uh, people. I mean, uh, the the, uh, East German people said enough is enough, and irrespective of threats of violence against them, they stood up for I'm going to call uh, their their liberty and broke the wall. Well, but it's much more complicated than that. It crumbled economically. Look, I I was in the Soviet Union in 1975, Mm -hmm. and I remember getting on a Soviet plane uh, for a domestic flight. And two things struck me for in those flights. One is people taking out umbrellas because the water was going to leak from the ceiling. Yeah. And the second time, the pilot saying, we have to turn off the air conditioning and the lights because we need all the power in order to take off. So that told me that the Soviet industrial power was not what it was made out to be. Let me put it that way. Well, not only that, but I I had the opportunity as a a young person to go through Checkpoint Charlie and go into East Germany a little bit and ride around. And it looked like a war zone. And this was probably in 67, 68. It was just the the, uh, juxtaposition of West Germany and what's going on there versus East Germany. It was just, you had to see it to believe it. Well, absolutely. And that's really what happened. And once the people of West, listen, what happened was, of course, people forget that the Hungarians um, were the first ones to take down the wall and let people cross from Hungary into Western Europe. Mm-hmm. And so people from all over Eastern Europe were basically traveling to Hungary and traveling out. Yeah. So you had this massive exodus that started putting tremendous pressure on all the Eastern European governments. And then it became uh, a yeah. domino effect. I mean, yeah, but I'm, I guess my bringing this full circle, my, my point being is that the people at, may at one point say, enough is enough, we're not taking anymore. They started these strikes now. And it just makes me wonder where the resistance might occur. And to your point, it could be the Iranian guard uh, that stands up to the people. But, you know, quite frankly, if all the people are in agreement, that's, that's a lot of folks. It is. But we just don't know. Look what happened in Syria. Yeah. I mean, the Syrian government is clear minority. The overwhelming majority of the Syrian people oppose the Syrian government, and at least half of them now don't no longer live in Syria. Yeah. So tragic. So absolutely tragic. Yeah. Let's let's uh, move then to uh, what's happening in I guess in Germany or. No, in Germany. The question, and my my point in Germany was the decision announced to move U.S. troops out of Germany. Yeah, right. And I have uh, three problems with it. Number one, uh, which no one has even talked about, 
do we really want a Germany without American troops there in terms of um, to be an additional force to, especially with the articles that have come out recently about the rise of neo-Nazism in Germany. So that's that's one side of the coin. Mm-hmm. The other side of the coin makes little strategic sense, frankly, to move the troops to Italy and, and Great Britain, especially as we spent a lot of money building bases and everything else. And third, the logic also doesn't make any sense at the moment because Germany spends a greater part of the GMP than than Italy or Belgium were supposedly moving some troops. Moving troops to Poland, on the other hand, could be an interesting thing. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's so part, of it is, part of it is reducing, the, but it makes me wonder, too, if, in fact, uh, my understanding is that Germany is not paying its share, so to speak, for uh, the NATO 2% of uh, no, GDP. No, let's, okay, let's understand something. The, the, the goal was that all NATO countries were supposed to aim towards spending 2% of the GMP on defense. Mm-hmm. Um, only like three or four of the countries have reached that percentage until now. They've all improved a little bit over the, over the last 10 years, let's put it that way, but none of them have reached, other than three countries, have reached 2%. Mm-hmm. Italy is way below Germany, and so is Belgium, who are moving troops. We, they, the Germans don't owe anything to NATO, but they don't owe anything to us. Right. Um, but they do owe to spend more money on their defense, or they're supposed to spend more money on their defense. So that's what this is all about. I don't think it has anything to do with... Well, I, you know, and no, I, I, I agree with that point. So, again, back to the way Trump operates. Uh, presence is basically, look, if, if you you got to have to pay your share, we're going to start withdrawing troops because we're here to support you and, and what's going on. And uh, I, I don't think uh, she wants to see... Well, except for the fact that, you know, listen, where we have troops in most cases today, I'm not talking about Germany, all over the world, where our troops are located generally supports American strategic interests. Right. And we put them in places where it's strategically good to put them. We put them in places where there's good infrastructure, like Germany has a really good infrastructure, so that, you know, especially Air Force, and that can get really good support, support services and everything else like that. And we put them in places where, you know, they can reach, you know, all sorts of locations, you know, they get Garcia in the middle of the Indian Ocean. Right. Um, so that's why we strategically have a base in the middle middle there. So we don't put any troops necessarily. I can't think of any place we have troops that are actually there to defend, maybe South Korea, mm-hmm. and in that sense to be a tripwire against North Korea. But we place our troops where we think it's good for our world defense. Mm-hmm. And that was where, you know, decisions have been made. Uh, we, had a, we had a recalculation in 2002 or 2003. I forgot which year. There was a whole recalculation of where the best uh, base location should be in the world, and that's what we're today we're looking at more or less. And then we spent like, like ten billion dollars rebuilding some of the bases to make them good long term and yeah. allow housing for for families and everything else. So uh, we should continue that. In other words, we don't our our decision in terms of where bases are located, etc., should be based on what our interests are. Right. And again, obviously, host countries have to agree, but that's a different story. Okay, Mark. You know, I just we have so much more to talk about. I'm sorry we can't right now, but I genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a great week, Bob. You as well. Thank you, Mark. Well, I think uh, I don't know that uh, Mark and I have <laughs> agreed on a lot in that discussion, but irrespective, I just appreciate his commentary and point of view. I think he's a little bit more of a globalist. I'm a nationalist and uh, libertarian, uh, so. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the discussion. All right, coming up, Larry Reed. He is the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. 
Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For the best in food and drink as well as great live entertainment, go to the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar. Formerly known as Weekend Willie's, the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar has terrific new local owners offering a great new upscale decor and a fabulous new menu. Linda and I are weekly regulars to hear live blues, but you can stop by anytime for great food and drink, to watch your favorite sporting event, or to hear great live entertainment five nights a week. The Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar is located at 5310 Shirley Street, just off Pine Ridge Road, and it's open from 11 a.m. until close every day. Visit the website dogtoothnaples.com or call 431-7004. That's 431-7004. I hope we'll see you there. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And the website is gulfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us Larry Reed, the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry, thank you so much for joining us. It's always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you. Thank you, Larry. Tell us about the Foundation for Economic Education. Okay. Uh, your listeners can learn more about us by visiting our website, fee.org, and there they will see that our work is focused on high school and college students, and we attempt to inspire and educate them in ideas of individual liberty, free markets, private property, uh, limited government, and personal character. We do that not only through the website, but through uh, programs that we put on uh, campus and in schools all across the country. Great organization, fee.org is the website. If there's a young person in your life, I say this every time I uh, uh, interview Larry, but uh, it is a terrific organization. And uh, when you expose uh, somebody in your life who's in those age groups uh, from high school or college, it's a great experience for, for them to be involved. So, again, fee.org. So, Larry, uh, you wrote a, a column that really spoke to me. I just really appreciated it. It just made me into kind of do kind of a inventory of myself and what I'm doing about the situation, but it's called Wanted Moral Courage, especially in this day and times. Uh, tell us about it. Okay. I opened the column with a quote from Mark Twain, a very telling quote in which he said, it is curious that physical courage should be so common in the world and moral courage so rare. Mm. And I think uh, the situation is even more 
uh, along the lines of what he described today than it was when he wrote those words over a century ago. Yeah. Uh, moral courage uh, means, in my belief, knowing what's right and then both doing it and defending it in spite of fear or obstructions or opposition. So when you think of it in those terms and ask yourself, have we improved over the years, I think uh, most people would probably agree with me that uh, though your heart may want to say yes, uh, your head tells you no. Mm -hmm. Every day seems to bring distressing news of uh, moral courage in decline. Yeah, I mean, you take a look at what's happening in Minneapolis, New York, St. Louis, Portland, Seattle. I mean, it's just incredible. And uh, I'm shaking my head and saying, why is this happening? This is just a destruction of society. It's a destruction of our culture. And uh, whose role is it to respond? Who's going to stand up and say this is wrong? Well, I think everybody should. Mm -hmm. Now, some people, of course, have good reason to be concerned about doing that because they may have a business and they don't want it to be... uh, uh, picketed or or worse, uh, they people have relationships they don't want to jeopardize. So there are reasons why standing up and speaking out against this sort of thing can cause uh, some people uh, people some problems. So I, I hesitate to be too judgmental, but right. I try to encourage people. If you have uh, um, concerns about what you see around you, and you are able to muster the courage to speak out against it and to uh, talk to your kids about it and, and uh, you know, spread the good word about America instead of all this negative, negativity. Well, then by all means do it, because if not, then by default uh, we'll simply lose this thing eventually to the, uh, the people in the streets. Uh, you're so right. You gave two examples, two great examples of a demonstration of, of the type of courage you're talking about. Uh, Shatara Sims, for example, in, in Kansas City, Missouri, and uh, the high school coach and his team. Maybe you could tell us about those stories. Okay. Uh, the example of Shatara Sims is very recent, only a couple of weeks ago. The major media did not give it all that much attention, but she's a struggling single black mother in Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, due to the virus, she lost her job this summer, and a few years ago she lost her daughter to street violence. And uh, she just did an incredible thing. She had only $7 to her name uh, here a few weeks ago. But when she found a dollar bill on the ground, she bought a lottery ticket with it, won $100. And then amazingly, she donated her entire winnings uh, to help a police officer who had been shot in the head on the 2nd of July. Um, And since, by the way, the um, police there were so grateful, they formed a GoFundMe page to help her through this difficult time, and it's raised more than $50,000 uh, for her. But she, she just felt it was the right thing to do with what little she had. She was appreciative of the way the police handled uh, the case of her daughter a few years ago, and she wanted to give it. Yeah, and as you uh, m- close the story there, you say goodness begets goodness. It's kind of a pass-it-on thing that, that occurred here with the, uh, the GoFundMe page. It's just a very heartening story, and uh, to understand that what she gave, $100, I mean, she had $7 to her name, uh, was an amazing, amazing gesture on her part of gratitude uh, for yes. the Kansas City Police. So that is a great story. Now, the, the other story from Conyers, Georgia, this, this is just an amazing story. Maybe you could tell yeah. us Yeah, this goes back about 30 years, but I've told it many, many times. Uh, 
It took place in the town of Conyers, Georgia, uh, not all that far from where I live. Um, and uh, when school officials there discovered that one of their basketball players who had played 45 seconds in the first of the school's uh, five postseason game, games uh, had actually been scholastically ineligible, they returned the state championship trophy that the team had won just a few weeks before. They returned it. Mm. If they just kept quiet, probably no one else would ever have known about that minor technicality, and they could have retained the trophy. But to their credit, uh, the team and the town, uh, and disappointed though they were, they rallied behind the school's decision, and the coach said something quite remarkable. He said, we didn't know he was ineligible at the time, but you've got to do what's honest and right and what the rules say. I told my team that people forget the scores of the games. They don't ever forget what you've made of, what you're made of. What a, what a fantastic lesson in character. What an object lesson, not only for all those young people on the team. It's just a way to, that's a lesson I'm sure is just embedded in their minds forever to do, yeah. the, do the right thing, but also for members of the town, for the school system. Everybody, I think, was impacted by that decision. That's right. Again, goodness begets goodness. An example of moral courage uh, it, it can be very contagious. Indeed it is. Again, uh, the Foundation for Economic Education. Please visit uh, FEE.org, FEE.org. Uh, and, uh, Larry, I just genuinely appreciate your commentary here in the show, encouraging us all to demonstrate the courage, moral courage. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the, uh, whoops, I've got to change my commercial break, on the Bob Harden uh, Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I can only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tamiami Trail in Bonita Springs at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com. 
time to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-389 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It is a moral imperative. I proudly serve on the board, and I hope you'll check out the website, thefga.org, thefga.org. Uh, I just also want to do a little shout out to Lulabee's Diner. Uh, right now, uh, the mall, the Green Tree Shopping Center, is going under some constru- construction right there on the corner of Airport Pulling and Immokalee. And uh, they have great breakfast and lunch there. Had more, uh, they support St. Matthew's House, uh, Lulabee's Diner, and Jerry Holacek and her, her staff. So I hope you go by and try Lulabee's Diner on the corner on Green Tree Shopping Center in the uh, corner of Immokalee. And uh, uh, airport pulling. We talked a little bit about uh, the Minneapolis situation, and now the Minneapolis City Council has now been one of the most vocal critics of police in the country. Now, get this. I, I wanted to make sure we covered this. Lisa Bender, the president of the council, made eyebrow-raising comments in June during an interview on CNN. She said that calling the police when your home is broken into comes from a place of privilege. Can you believe that? She actually said that. I'm not kidding. Calling the police, calling 911 comes from a place of pr- privilege. The paper, citing an unnamed source, said the department is funded to have uh, 888 officers but could see about one-third of the force leave by the end of the year. So sad. The one thing you expect from your government is to protect you from internal and external predators. So the one reason that the city council has to be there is to make sure that the city's uh, citizens' property and their person, they're safe. And uh, right now, they're abandoning that important requirement and and, uh, obligation to the public uh, because they want to be, I don't know, woke or whatever it might be. Just It's a shame to see this happening, not only here, but also in cities, I'm going to say Democrat, led cities with elected officials who are Democrats around the country. It's just really sad. By the way, uh, Isaiah, I think I'm saying that correctly, is that hurricane has been downgraded from a hurricane, but it's still a powerful tropical storm. It gathered some strength as it has progressed north-northwestward, just east of the central coast of Florida on Sunday, packing with strong winds and rain. I talked to my brother, and he called Dennis, are you prepared for the hurricane? I looked out the window, and my goodness, there's some clouds, but some uh, blue sky. Talked to my sister, who lives in Miami, and she said uh, they had just some a few sprinkles, some clouds, and, and a little bit of rain, not much. But apparently about 15 miles north, it hit there and created a lot of uh, havoc, a lot of, a lot of rain. Of course, the winds were only, I think, 60, 70 miles an hour. But irrespective, that's, that could be pretty damaging. So uh, Isaiah is expected to move offshore uh, uh, to the coast of Georgia and southern South Carolina on Monday before continuing inland over eastern North Carolina on Monday evening. The National Hurricane Center said, Isaiah is expected to move upward along the East Coast and reach Washington, D.C., Philadelphia, New York City on Tuesday before moving into New England. That's, that's the path right now. 
a uh, little change is expected of the storm's uh, strength. So we'll, we'll be watching that story, but fortunately we dodged a bullet. Isaiah's decided to go east, mainly of South Florida pretty much, and uh, certainly east of uh, the Paradise Coast. Two uh, NASA astronauts returned to Earth on Sunday in a dramatic retro-style splashdown, their capsule parachuting into the Gulf of Mexico to close out an unprecedented test flight by Elon Musk's SpaceX company. It's so, so cool. It was the first splashdown by U.S. astronauts in 45 years with the first commercially built and operated spacecraft to carry people to and from orbit. The return clears the way for another SpaceX crewed launch as early as next month and possible tourist flights next year, if you can believe that. Test pilots Doug Hurley and Bob Benkin arrived back on Earth in the SpaceX Dragon capsule named Endeavour less than a day after departing for the International Space Station two months after blasting off from Florida. The capsule parachuted into the calm Gulf waters about 40 miles off of the coast of Pensacola, hundreds of miles from tropical storm Isaiah's pounding the uh, Florida Atlantic coast. So they made it back safely. It made it exactly where they're supposed to be. Now, apparently they were picked up about a half an hour later, but there was some distress because a lot of boats were circling the capsule and got there before the recovery uh, crew showed up. And apparently there's one boat out there with a Trump sign <laughs> waving. Pretty cool. But anyhow, glad they made it back safely. And it's great to see Elon Musk's SpaceX uh, being so successful. I want to make a comment about this. As the NBA and MLB uh, return from their coronavirus-imposed hiatus, it appears that TV viewers are not interested in what the increasingly woke leagues have to offer. Well, I do. I feel exactly the same way. I just refuse to watch NBA. or And I, I was a baseball fan. I watched a lot of baseball. I love baseball. But it's just very off-putting to have these players uh, push this in our face as they're performing with that unbelievable skills that they have. Why don't they stick to that instead of politics? But with both baseball and basketball draped on all sorts of Black Lives Matter and social justice symbolism for opening games, a substantially smaller number of fans tuned in to the rest of the week's games. I enjoy watching golf this week, and I don't know about you, but it's great to see the competition, and golf just really fits the fact that you don't have a lot of fans around. You don't see these great performers uh, taking a knee, and I'm talking about golfers. I bet their ratings are up as uh, baseball and football, I should say baseball and basketball, are going down. Anyhow, they're off and running. Basketball started, I think, on Friday, or Thursday or Friday, and baseball's already completed its first week. Conservative pundit and former Secret Service agent Dan Bongino, and I'm a big fan of Dan Bongino, he declared Sunday morning that uh, the former Vice President Joe Biden is suffering a rapid cognitive decline, and he suggested his sources were close to the situation. So this is kind of interesting information. Biden's mental acuity has been a frequent theme of discussion primarily among uh, conservatives, though Democrats have also acknowledged potential problems on occasion. In a Facebook post on Sunday, Bongino wrote, Not a joke and not hyperbole. I'm hearing people close to the situation that Biden's cognitive decline is rapidly worsening and is becoming increasingly difficult to mask. The Democrats are going to have to make a decision soon. At the Democrat Party presidential debate in Houston, Texas last September, former Secretary of Housing and Urban Development Juan or Julian Castro brought up the issue of Biden's mental decline on a debate stage. 
Are you forgetting what you just said two minutes ago, said Castro, after Biden claimed he had not said uh, that people would have to buy in to the, his health care? Castro was correct, by the way. So this, the evidence of this goes back all the way to the debates uh, when Castro was still a candidate running against Biden for the uh, primary, uh, for the role of a candidate for president. Though Castro later told Breitbart News they had not meant his remark to be in precisely that way, Senator Cory Booker seemed to echo his criticisms of Biden in post-debate interviews, saying he did not know whether the former vice president had the stamina to run a fully competitive presidential campaign. President Trump has referred to Biden throughout the campaign as Sleepy Joe Biden. Why do those names just stick, don't they? It's unbelievable. And by the way, President Donald Trump surged past Sleepy Joe, in the latest monthly Democracy Institute Sunday Express poll on the economy, Trump polled at 48% and Biden polls at 46% in the latest monthly poll. It's kind of amazing because you think the sampling of the polls usually favors Democrats. So uh, I would expect that uh, Trump has his own polls and they know exactly where he stands. But even these polls that are probably slanted toward the Democrats show Biden or show Trump in the lead. More importantly, President Trump leads Joe Biden 48 to 43 percent in swing states like Florida, Iowa, Michigan, Minnesota, Pennsylvania and Wisconsin. That's a big deal. Finally, in this segment, I just want to point out that President Trump told suburban voters in a tweet on Wednesday they'll no longer be bothered or financially hurt by having low-income housing in their neighborhood after his administration revoked an Obama-era housing rule. Now, this is a big deal. The affirmatively furthering fair housing on or the AFFH rule was designed to eliminate racial disparities in housing by telling jurisdictions like your neighborhood and my neighborhood that receive to receive housing funds they must assess patterns of housing discrimination and come up with a plan to diminish them and so he says I'm happy to inform all people living in their suburban lifestyle dream that you'll no longer be bothered or financially hurt by having low income housing built in your neighborhood he tweeted I'm not kidding. This is exactly what they had in mind, is to build low-income housing uh, in neighborhoods around the country. Uh, This would override, I think, the the points of view of perhaps the – or there would be – certainly it would go to court with the uh, uh, Collier County commissioners, for example. But to to have the will of the federal government posed on our local local neighborhoods would do – the housing prices would – uh, crash, quite frankly, I think. So this is, I'm so happy that the president has made this decision. It is a good decision. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. Uh, Jim McTagg was unable to join us, fish because of a little family emergency, but I, th- I understand I got an email that he's going to be okay, so that's why he wasn't on today. I hope you'll uh, join us tomorrow. We'll have Kathleen Pasadomo, our state Senator on will visit with Boo Mortensen. Also, Seton Motley is the founder of President of Less Government. We'll look forward to hearing from him as well. I always enjoy your emails. I got a really great one on this uh, oxychloroquine uh, thing from one of our listeners. So I do appreciate what you're sending me. Uh, you can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. You can also ask to get on the, uh, on the email that I send out after each show. Again, bobharden at hotmail.com. Uh, I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste.
Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.